This morning we're going to continue in our study as we, our sermon series for the month of January is the worst year ever. And as we learned, 2020 really wasn't the worst year in world's history. Had its struggles, had its issues. But just kind of recapping to bring us to week three, week one, if you remember, we talked about answering that question, why, why are we in situations like 2020? Why are we in situations where sin is around us? Why are we in situations where wickedness rules? Well, I think we found the answer in Genesis chapter 3. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, brought sin into the world. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. So all the tactics that Satan used, everything that's happening, we can point the finger back to Satan. And this is why for 6,000 years we have been in this conundrum. Week two, last week we talked about this idea of Satan twisting our story. What that means is we, under, we studied the life of Job, and Job, as the Bible says, was a righteous man. And God allowed Satan, remember in the backstage of that story, God allowed Satan to bring upon him a lot of struggle and trial and tragedy. And through it all, Satan was trying to get Job to curse God, to twist his story of what he knew about God. And that's what Satan does. Satan in our lives, he gets us, he's tempting, tempting us, he wants us to blame God for everything. God doesn't love me, he doesn't care for me, he let this happen to me. Satan was trying to do that to Job. And three things we learned last week, if you remember in our study, we remember to pursue God wholeheartedly. Job was a man who was righteous and blameless. God tells us that. And through all his strategy, he sinned not with his mouth, Scripture tells us. So we are encouraged to, like Job, pursue God wholeheartedly. Number two, we learn to trust God in the backstages of our life. There are things happening in your life that you don't know what's going on. Why? Because God is working in those backstages we can't see. He's working in the backstages of our culture right now. We don't know what is going on, but we trust God through it. And thirdly, we learn that we are to worship God in the unknown. See, Job, despite losing his livelihood and then getting boils from his Top of his head to the bottom of his feet. What did he do? He worshiped God. Worshiped God in the unknown. So this brings us up to speed of kind of where we're coming, where, we're, where we come from, where we're going. And so today we're going to be in Hebrews, and we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12 as we begin. You will notice in your bulletin, there is an, there's a, a quick overview. Again, this is the Bible Project. You can Google this. You can search this on YouTube. It has every book of the Bible, has videos. It's a very great resource to use as you're studying in your own personal devotion. Um, it's also on our Facebook page and also on our, in our newsletter. When, I, when we put those videos out, listen, like, watch them, listen to them. They're like eight minutes long, but it gives you a picture of the book that we are in and we're studying. Because as pastors, we, are, we feel strongly about biblical hermeneutics, interpret, interpreting Scripture properly. And how we do that is we understand the purpose and the reason for the book in which we are in. So are you ready this morning to see what God has for us? Okay, there's two of you. Great. So let's look at the text in Hebrews chapter 12 and look at this overview. If there's one thing that I have learned of anything in the 21st century about the book of Hebrews, it makes for a great coffee shop. Wow, that just fell and just dropped. <laughs> Hebrews, get it? 
You know, the millennial name for a coffee shop, Hebrews, or higher ground. It's like, okay, spare me the, you know, but it is. And I'm not, that's not a joke. There are coffee shops called Hebrews. How many have had drank at a coffee shop Hebrews? None. It's probably really good coffee. I hear it makes you more biblical. No, it doesn't. I'm just kidding. So as we get into Hebrews this morning, just a few things about an overview, just so we understand what's happening in Hebrews chapter 12. Well, Hebrews is not your normal introductory letter. Actually, it reads more like a sermon or ancient times, like a homily, like a sacred writing. It's very theological in nature, and it's very precise and logically laid out. If I was to ask you, first name that comes to mind, who wrote the book of Hebrews? Holy Spirit. Okay, teacher's pet. All right. <laughs> yes, that's, that's correct. <laughs> what, who, what person? Who was it? Okay, someone says Paul. That was the right answer, but it is the wrong answer, and I'll tell you why. We do think it's Paul. Why? Because we're in the Pauline literature in the New Testament, and we're reading like, okay, well, Paul wrote Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians. So, yeah, Hebrews, yep. But really, the answer is it is unknown. And the reason why I want to just kind of touch base on why we think it's really not Paul is, is the author doesn't identify himself in this book, or else we would know who the author is. If you look at the Pauline literature, you see that Paul identifies himself at the beginning and he identifies himself at the end. This book has no introduction. As someone said, it is the Holy Spirit. Verse 1 tells us that God is the one who spoke to us. We also know Paul, when he would quote Old Testament scripture, he would do it in the original Hebrew. This writer actually uses the Septuagint. It's the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And he would use that form of language when he referenced the Old Testament. So it gives us, again, an idea. It's most likely probably not Paul. This book is concise and it is polished unlike Pauline literature. Here's some of the individuals they say may have written it. Barnabas, Silas, Luke, Aquila of Aquila and Priscilla, um, Apollos. Theologians, if you're going to take a stab in the dark, actually fall on Apollos, and here's why. Again, we don't know, we're just taking a guess. He was a Jewish Christian who was highly educated and knowledgeable about the Torah, about Levitical law. He was an eloquent speaker, and he taught the scriptures ac accurately. History tells us this. And so if we were to take a stab at the dark, it most likely could have been Apollos. But it doesn't matter because God wants us to have it. We know he gave it to us, and so we learn and we follow so who is the audience of the book of Hebrews? Well, it's Hebrew Christians. Um, the book is filled with Levitical law language. It is filled with priesthood, tabernacle, sacrificial language that a, a, a Hebrew Christian would understand. They understood that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Messianic scriptures. So the audience understood. So chapters 1 through 10 is doctrinal. I mean, they understood all the language in those first 10 chapters. People ask, who, where, so where were these Christians at? Well, much just like the book of James, it says that the book of James, that these individuals were scattered among greetings. They were all over. They believe, it's believed that these individuals, these Christians were scattered as well because of persecution. See, they were tempted at this time not to embrace Jesus Christ, his teachings, or to follow him. It's believed to be before, before 70 AD, before the destruction of the temple, and so these individuals were persecuted Christians running for their life because of their faith. I think another verse that gives us this, in, this idea would be Hebrews 10.25. It 
It'll be on the screen in front of you. You don't need to turn there. But here's a, a verse that we have probably memorized as Christians. Not neglecting together, not, not, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, that word day, the day of the Lord, the day of judgment drawing near. See, this author is seeing that persecution is causing believers to run from the church, to run from their faith. I know growing up in the church, I used to hear this verse a lot. When Jason Palmer would miss a church service, you're not, you're forsaking the assembly of ourselves together. That verse was taken out of context. That's not what that verse is for. I also heard that verse taking out of context in the church today. When a church changes its format or function and they choose to do something different, you're forsaking the assembly. No, you're taking this verse out of context. In context, this verse is pleading for Christians who are running from Jesus and who are going a separate way, and they don't want to identify with Jesus because fear of death, fear of what the authorities would do to their family. And many of them, theology or history tells us that they were following a false teaching. This verse could be very well used with our good friend Harold Camping and his teaching, who was drawing people away from church. Yes, we could use this verse. Yes, don't forsake the assembly of the church. So the writer here, the author, is telling us, listen, don't give up on the church. Don't run. I know you're going through it, but be true to Jesus. The theme of Hebrews is this. Jesus is the perfect and full expression of God and is better than anyone in anything. Let me, let me read that again. This is the theme. Jesus is the perfect and full expression of God and is better than anyone or anything. See, what Jesus provides for us is this. There's no more restriction. We have direct access to God. Aren't you grateful for that? We now have a new covenant. The old is gone. He, Jesus, fulfilled the old covenant. Now we have the new covenant of his blood. And for those that were, grew up in the, the, the Catholic faith, you don't need to go to a priest to ask for forgiveness of sin. You can come boldly. Before the throne of grace, we have access. I love the key verses, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And here, here's the promise. Here is the, here, is the, here is the gold nugget. Let us then with confidence, and that word confidence in the Greek means not intimidated. We come boldly. We're not intimidated. We know our past. We know what we've done. But the author says, you come boldly, not intimidated. Draw near to the throne of grace that we may, be, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is our confidence this is what we have through Jesus. The outline of, of, of Hebrews is very simple. Again, being a guy who was not much into books in high school, I liked things that were simple. Chapters 1 through chapters 10 is doctrinal. It's instruction. Actually, the doctrine that it tackles is Christology. Of course, Christology is the doctrine of who? Very good. Christology. It's just a fancy word. It's just the study of Jesus. And then chapters 11 through 13 is practical. It's, okay, we know this about Jesus. This is what Jesus has done for us. This is who Jesus is for us. So how do we live this out? 
How does this apply to us? How does this apply to the persecuted Christians during the time of Hebrews? How does this apply 2,000 years later to us living in America? See, the author wants us to know as followers to stay fixated and focused on Jesus because he is superior and he is better than all else. Guys, let me talk to you a minute because our ladies would not have such moronic conversations growing up in elementary school. You remember the conversations that you'd have with your buddies? My dad's better than your dad. And the lady's like, that's stupid. It is stupid. You know, my dad can beat your dad up. I've said that, and it was true. I always won that battle. But you remember that conversation? Ladies are like, you guys actually did that? Yes, we're stupid. I get it. I know. We do dumb things like that. See, the book of Hebrews is telling us this. Listen, Jesus is better than anything or anyone. He wants to elevate Jesus as superior, and he wants to challenge us as Christians to remain faithful despite obstacles and persecutions. We see from Hebrews chapter 1 to chapter 10, here is Jesus. Jesus is more superior than the angels. He's more superior than Moses, chapters 3 and 4. He's more superior than Melchizedek, chapters 4 through 5. He's more superior than the Old Covenant, chapter 8. He's more superior than the tabernacle, chapter 9. And he is more superior than the sacrifices in Hebrews chapter 10. Why? Because he was the final perfect sacrifice. Do you remember our study in Ephesians and Colossians and and the, the, the false teaching of Gnosticism we talked about? This puts to death all that, doesn't it? Jesus is superior. Jesus is superior. Now let's look at our text this morning. And before we do that, if Jesus is better and Jesus is superior, why not come to him? Right? Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're watching via Facebook Live. This Christianity is not just about a religion. It's about a relationship with God. And if you put your faith and trust in this Jesus, be part of Team Jesus, he will change your life. You will be in heaven forever. You will have, even through struggle and trial, he will be there, he will walk you through it, and your sins will be forgiven. And so as we get into Hebrews, and maybe I just need that invitation, we're here to talk to you, call us in the office, talk to your friend that brought you, This Jesus will change your life because he is, as John 14, 6 says, the only way to the Father. And so, come to Jesus. He will change your life. So Hebrews chapter 12, let's get to our text, verses 1 through 3. So you got a lot of history just, just bunched together, but hopefully it gives us an understanding, okay, this is what's going on. Here is what the author is trying to get across. So we have this idea. So now, how are we going to live this out tomorrow at work? How are we going to live this out, young people, at school, whenever you go back? The author challenges us 2,000 years later to be faithful in persecution struggle and trials to be confident in the work that god provided through his son jesus let's read together verse one therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us questions we need to ask here with this verse one who are these surround who we surrounded by this cloud of witnesses who are they well, first, in the, in, in the text this morning, witness means one who testifies, okay? One who testifies. Well, who are these witnesses? Well, if you page back to Hebrews chapter 11, you will see a list of those witnesses. It says, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, 
I need to correct some heaven theology here. I know when growing up, when, when uh, getting this passage of scripture preached to us or spoken to us, I always had this picture that the, the people that went to heaven, they're up cheering for us. Yeah, you go, Don. Man, go, Dave. Go, Andrew. Go, Trace. Yeah, you got this. Cheering you on like a race. That's a, a good picture, but can people in heaven see us here? Good answer. Would they want to see us here <laughs> is the real question. Proverbs, I mean, Psalms 116.15 says this, Precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of the saints. Paul told the Christians in Corinth, it is absent with the body, is present with the Lord. Why in the world, when we leave this life, would we want to turn back and see what's going on? We will be fixated on Jesus. There's no need for us to look here on earth. Why? Because our race is complete. And so I'm sorry Many of us may think that Grandma and Grandpa and Aunt Joe, I mean Aunt Joe, no, that's, that's wrong, Uncle Joe and Aunt Betty are looking down on us, smiling on us. They're not. They're enjoying their Jesus like we would. And so to get a picture of what is happening here, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, the nation of Israel, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, they are heroes of the faith who are a surrounded witnesses for us. And what this means is, I want you to get a picture of this. We look to them for encouragement rather than them looking down on us as an examination. They live the life. They witness faith. They witnessed all these things. And we, 5,000 years later, look back and we are encouraged by their life. They are witnesses for us. I think they are witnesses in two ways. The author just shares it in two, these two portions of Scripture. Verses 33 and 34, they did this through the good. Isn't it easy to serve God and to be a good example and testimony when things are going good? Yes, all of us are going to shake. Yes, because it is. Look at verses 33 and 34. Talking about the heroes of faith, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Through their faith, God allowed them to accomplish these things and to bring glory to himself. It's like when you read those verses, like it's like a superhero moment. You're like, man, yeah, putting, stopping the lives of mountains, um, lions, quenching the power of fire. It's like, wow, this is amazing. God allowed them to do that to show God's glory. We want to be in that part, right? We want to be one of those guys or ladies, as I mentioned in the passage. But there's others that go through a different part of the race, through the bad. Look at verses 36 and 38. It continues on. Others suffered mocking flogging and even chains and imprisonment they were stoned they were sawn in two again particularly speaking of prophet isaiah was a prophet who was sawed in two they were killed by the sword when you see killed by the sword in scripture it doesn't mean that they got stabbed and they're dead no that means that they were they've lost their head their heads were cut off they were about in skins and sheeps and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. You read that job description, and what's the first thing? Sign me right up. Through the good, but also through the bad. 
And these heroes of faith are witnesses for us that what they went through, that now in our faith, they're an example for us to follow. These individuals, through it all, kept their faith. They did not see the promise of Jesus. They didn't see the cross. They didn't see the kingdom. And we're there too. We don't see the kingdom yet. We know it's coming, Jesus' literal kingdom. But by faith, they trusted and they followed. What an example for us today. We can be encouraged. Let's continue reading in the text, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, we have a set of heroes that set an example for us to follow in our race. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Gives us a picture, this author gives us a picture of a runner. So the question I want to ask you, what does a competitive runner look like? And it's not the guy who's running down the street on Chestnut Avenue Sunday mornings. (laughs) Usually not. (laughs) What's a competitive runner look like? Well, they're wearing the spandex. They're wearing the light tank tops. They're wearing the super light shoes. There's nothing hindering them. When they come into the arena, they're probably wearing their sweats and their hoodie sweatshirt. They have their beat here, ear, earphones on. They're, they don't look like a runner, but when it's time to run, it's time to get down to business, they are wearing what they need to to finish that race well. This is a picture of Usain Bolt, the Jamaican sprinter, considered one of the fastest, the greatest of all times. Have you ever, remember watching him run? God, like, like a bullet, man. A guy was fast. He was focused on winning the race. You see, as a runner, you can get hindered by many things. A cramp, a, a, a malfunction, a shoe, a shoelace. There was a, a runner that was known as supposedly the, the fastest runner in the world. He came, he got accolades for a couple years. And finally, he came to the United States. They had to just talk about this individual. He came to the United States, and he ran preliminaries and didn't even qualify for the race. And the world, the sport world was shocked. They're like, well, well you, like, you're supposed to be the fastest guy. What, what happened? You didn't even make it into the, into the qualifying rounds. They qualified for the race. He says two things. I gained weight, and I lacked training. Think about that. Here's a runner expressing, yeah, these are the two things that caused me not to qualify. Well, for Christians, how and what is it for us that's going to help us in our race of faith? I'd like to give us three training tips this morning as we talk about this passage in Hebrews. First, first and foremost, put off the dead weight. Put off the dead weight. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So the question we have to ask ourselves this morning is this. What is hindering you in your race right now? All of us have things that are a distraction to us. What is it? What is that, that untied shoelace in your race? What is that, that, that cramp that's happening because you didn't care for yourself as, as physically running? What is it? Is it a habit? All of us have habits that are not good that we need to rid ourselves of. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe you have a, a, a friendship with someone who is just, just toxic. They're a believer, but they are just not pushing you and prodding you to Jesus. Maybe it's a distraction. There's something that's not necessarily bad, but it's distracting you off the race. Or maybe it's a pursuit. 
not necessarily a bad pursuit, but you're pursuing something in your life that is contrary to running the race focused on Jesus. I like what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. He said this, All things are lawful for, for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated. That word dominated in the Greek means ruling your life. Paul's saying, I'm not going to let things rule my life. Strip it off. Get rid of it. Rid yourself of what's preventing you from reaching your goal in your race of life with Christ. What is our goal? To finish well. All of us, one day, all of us, our race right now is going to end at different times. Unless Jesus comes and takes the church and we all have the same finish line, right now, as life is going, we will all finish at different times. And there's two words that we want to hear said. What is that? Well done. Well done. I am a, I'm a big North Carolina Tar Heels fan. Always been, have been since I've been in middle school. I love Dean Smith. Of course, he has passed away several years ago. And he used to give his team a pep talk, and here's what he used to say. Play hard, play smart, and play well. Play hard, play smart, and play well. Nothing about winning. You do these three things, I'll be proud of you. Brothers and sisters, I think we can take those three points this morning. We need to run this race hard. Focus on Jesus, giving our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength to God. We need to run this race smart. We need to be in God's word. We need to be reading. We need to be praying so we can make smart decisions in our life in this race. And we want to hear those words well done. We want to run it well. So when we come to that finish line, whenever it is in our life, that we'll hear Jesus say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I like what Wilbur Chapman says. I know you're asking, who's Wilbur Chapman? He's an old dead guy. The first service really didn't last, so I kind of like, meh, meh. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> Actually, he was a, uh, he was a Presbyterian evangel evangel evangelist um, in the 19th century. Here's was his quote, and it'll be on the screen in front of you. My life is governed by this rule. Anything that dims my vision of Christ or my taste for the Bible study or cramps my life or makes Christian work difficult is wrong for me, and I as a Christian must turn away from it. Sounds like he read Hebrews chapter 10, 12, and 13 to run this race fixed on Jesus so not only must we put off the dead weight like that sprinter, like that runner, any sin or weight that clings to us, put it away. Number two through our training tips this morning is this. Push through your obstacles. Push through our obstacles. Look what he says there. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That word endurance in the text in the Greek means this. The capacity to continue to bear up under difficult circumstances. So, if we put that definition in the verse, here's what it says. And let us run with the capacity to continue to bear up under difficult circumstances the race that is set before us. We always blow by the word endurance. Yeah, okay, you have to be strong. No, when you put the definition in the verse, to bear under difficult circumstances. Church, we need to push through our obstacles. What are the difficult situations in your life right now? How do you handle them when you face them? 
See, obstacles are there to grow us. They're there to push us to trust God no matter what. And we've seen that last week in the book of Job. See, the author here understands that his audience is being persecuted. They are in heavy. See, bad things happen to good people, right? We've seen that in Job. Genesis chapter 3, this is, this is the life we live. We've seen Jesus endure hostility. We can expect it as well. I, I like the illustration. I like this, for us to think about God's hand on a thermostat. And every time there's times in our life where that thermostat seems to be really, really hot. And we can't take it. If we were to put a thermostat on Job's life last week, we'd be like, that would be cranked. But God is in control. He knows what you can handle. He knows what you can take. And we, he is there to walk us through that and those circumstances. For those that enjoy going, coming uh, to hiking uh, activities with me, we went to many years of Canada, Algonquin, Appalachian Trail. Um, we took, I think it's my 22nd year doing this. Many of you have come along. There's one particular year that was not so great or grand. And it was all, of course, the year that I took my wife with me. It always ends up that way. I come home for 20 years. This is the best place in, on earth. It's better than, it got, it's, it's got to be in heaven, you know. So you're bragging about, I've seen the northern lights, I've seen moose, I've seen all this stuff. All right, I'll go. So she talked, we got Kathleen and Megan to go. And, and we, Pastor Mike had his RV at that time, and so we rode up to Canada in luxury. I was able to take a nap and actually lay down, and, and all the teens were in a van in front of us, and we're like, ha, <laughs> We're in comfort. So we get up to Canada and notice that the clouds were just not going away. And it was raining. And it poured. Not just drizzle. Poured. To where I was like, what are you doing to me, God? You know, surprise there's not three divorces that happened after that. Um, but we walked through the obstacles being wet and cold. Actually, that picture there was pouring down rain, and we're just like, this is great, I love Canada, man, this is awesome. <laughs> That's what the girls were doing, the guys were like, let's just get out of here. But even through that experience, it teaches us that even in the Christian life, we come around each other, and we help each other through each other's obstacles, because maybe we've been through those obstacles, and we can help people through them. How do, I, how do we go through our furnace experiences? Christians, our trials and struggles are meant to purify us. It's not fun going through obstacles, is it? If you were to ask the ladies who went to Canada, it's not fun sitting wet all day, falling into a lake. It's just not fun. And so my wife will never go with me again, probably. But one thing we must understand these things are temporary. Temporary. I have to just, in this particular training tip, I, I need to say some things this morning. Hard things. And so as, Job, as God told Job in Job 38, gird yourself, put our steel toe boots on. I don't mean to offend anyone. I'm talking to Christians in general here, not particularly our church. Um, we need... And we need to understand there are obstacles coming our way as Christians. Um, I don't want to scare you. I don't want to put fear into your heart. I'm not trying to be a fear monger. I'm a realist. And what we're seeing in our culture and our country, they're coming at us for, as Christians. 
there are obstacles coming for the church that will be troubling times ahead for those who profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. There's a narrative of, a cer- of certain politicians in regards to religion, faith, and Christianity, and we are the target. No, I, 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 I'm not joking. We've said this for no, it's, it's coming, church. We've seen it played out through this pandemic, how a government can control a nation by closing its business, closing the schools, and yes, even shutting the doors of a church, you know, not just because of, but I mean literally locking a church doors. Just Google it. You can find those illustrations. So I think some things we need to think about as we move forward as Christians in this country that has left God and his morals. As we ended last week, we talked that we need to pray for our leaders, regardless of who they are, regardless if we like them, or regardless if we agree with them. Amen? Um, Remember, God puts who he wants in leadership. And remember, our enemy is not a a political group. Our enemy is Satan. Be ready for trials and struggles, church. Um, you ever ride down the road, drive down the road, and you see a sign you like never seen before? Like, that's weird. I've never seen that. Like, if you're in Canada, you see moose crossing signs. Well, you're not going to see that in Jersey. You're going to say, that's odd. As your pastors, we see signs down the road that we've never seen before in the church. We need to learn from our mistakes, Christians. So just, just bear with me a moment. Christians, we have failed our community. We have failed our culture. We have failed to stand up against wickedness. We have fallen asleep to what is true, what is right, what is biblical. We, are, and we ended up just like Adam and Eve. We listened to the lie of Satan. Oh, we're free. We can do what we want. This week we're seeing censorship like none, like we've never ever seen before. The interview with a musician who lost his record label because he wore a particular conservative name on his shirt. A former Phillies pitcher lost his life insurance because he supported a particular candidate. So okay, don't get don't get political, Pastor. No, if they can do that with this, what do you think they're going to do with Christianity? The religious right, December 2020, actually June and I were watching TV and I said, you got to read this. I just read it last night. Uh, the, this particular movement created a 28-page document sent to our new pres- presidential administration calling Christians anti-democratic, anti-science, that we're a cover for white supremacy, that we have a pinched interpretation of the scriptures. We don't align with the Constitution. And two, one of the two proposals they want to, or three proposals, is taking God, and we trust off currency, which that's been talking about, we've talked about for years. Two is eliminate support to pregnancy centers and put it towards Planned Parenthood. And three is for governors, and listen to this, to governors to regulate and decrease the gatherings of worship in churches in America. Sound familiar? In fact, one of the runoff elections in Georgia, one of the guys who won is a pastor in a church who stands at his pulpit, like I, and looks into the word of God and says, abortion is moral. And people in the church, oh, amen, preach it, hallelujah. We have lost it, and we are the only ones to blame. 
Christians, we have not stood up for what is right. We have followed a party line because our parents were this party, and we have not voted, we have not stood up to the biblical mandates of Scripture. And we've got millions of babies being killed, and well, you know, it just is what it is. Shame on us. Shame on us. And we are to blame. And guess what's coming? We deserve it. I'm a realist. We can learn from our mistakes, but we have not towed the word of God. We have not stood up. Oh, you come to church, we sing our worship songs, you have your Christian tattoo, you have your Christian bumper sticker, you're a Christian. No, you're not, because you're not following God's word. When we have a chance to stand up and be counted for. As we talked last week, this is all God's plan. But God gave us a chance as Christians to stand up for what is right. I feel we failed because we're comfortable. We're comfortable. One thing we can say through this, one thing's going to happen. It's going to purge the church. Persecution purges the church. And those individuals that say they're Christians and they're in the church and they speak, they talk a good game. When the purging happens, they're going to be gone. And that's okay. That's okay. And so I stand here before you this morning, as Joshua did in Joshua 24, and he told this, the nation of Israel, okay, who are you going to follow? The gods of your Amorites or the gods of your forefathers, whom we worship now? And what was his famous quote? But for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Church, your pastors are going to serve the Lord regardless of what happens to us. As we said in our, 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 our meeting two weeks ago, we will never lock down this church again. We won't. Just be nice to us in prison. Come visit us. And you, Facebook, you can take it off, do what you want to do. It just is what it is. We have to start standing up for what is right, no matter what the consequences. Why? Because it's temporary. It's temporary. But Christian, there, there's a fire coming, and we haven't done our job as Christians collectively. We're going to need to speak truth in subjects like transgender and homosexuality and abortion and some of the social justice issues that are out there. What does the word of God say about these things? And some of us may lose our job for it. Some of us may lose our positions on a school board or committee because of standing up for the word of God. Are you ready for it? I never liked telling a team before a game, yeah, you know what, we're not going to win this. <laughs> Because the team we're playing, and they are going to crush us. I'm just preparing you, like, listen, this is what's coming down the pike. So our third training tip as we close is this. Press upward and onward. We have the gospel that needs to continue to get out. We continue to live our lives loving people, praying for people, serving the Lord, spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. Because that's all that matters at the end. Let's look at that, those last two verses, verses 2 and 3. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God, throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Through these times, we can trust in God's confidence we can be confident in God through what he did through with Jesus, where we can have this hope. 
that do what you want with us as our heroes of faith in Hebrews 11. Look what they suffered. And where are they today? They're in heaven. And so I know we can get caught up in political talk and what's happening, and yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you. I think there's one phrase I think we can encourage each other with, and I, I mentioned it back in November. I think we, it's, it's, a, it's a great a phrase for us to encourage one another. We get kind of caught up, and we're talking, and we seem to be like, what's going on? Just share with one another this. Brother, sister, we must walk this way to see Jesus. We must walk this way. I know it's crazy, but guess what? We've got to go through these obstacles if we're going to see Jesus. We're gonna, we need to go this way. We need to go through these things. Guess what? God's brewing something in the backstage of this world's mess. What's great is God wins. God wins. And we're on the winning side. So let's leave here with a smile on our face, not worrying about what's going on. It's going to happen. Whatever's going to happen this week is going to happen. But God still on his throne and we must go this way we must go this way let's pray father we thank you for this day we thank you for all you've done for us just help us father there's some hard things we have to say uh, as, as, as brothers and sisters but lord we, this needs to be said we have to stand up and now even more we need to stand up for righteousness because it things lord you can change anything you could just totally just surprise us this week I, but lord if you don't we need to be ready to fight for you. We need to be ready to stand up for you because you are all that matters. As this author says here in Hebrews, keep our eyes fixated and focused on Jesus. Give us a great day with friends and family. Help us in our fellowship. Help us at our work tomorrow. Help us in our jobs. Help us to stand up for you. Help our young kids as they, young people as they go back to school. Watch over them. Give them what they stand in need of. In your precious name. Amen. Let's all stand up together. We're going to sing Majestic. Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The heavens declare your greatness. The oceans cry out to you. The mountains they bow. So I join.